Good morning. Hey, if you haven't gone to that class, um, I'm going to go to the one tomorrow night at 6 p.m. at Central Vita. Love to meet you over there. We'll have a little group together, and we'll sit there, and we'll learn how to share our faith together. So if you'd like to come out that Monday, tomorrow night at Central Vita, it'd be a great, great thing for you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. And that would be the last chapter in the first book of your Bible, Genesis chapter 50. We'll begin in verse 15 this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for the wisdom that we can gain in the study of your word. Your word makes us wise unto salvation. Your word gives us great wisdom in all the practical everyday matters of life. Your word gives us insight into what's going on behind the scenes. So we want more of that wisdom this morning. Instruct us, Lord, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Life in a fallen world can take some very nasty turns, as all of us here probably know. You can face great tragedy in this life. You can experience huge disappointment in this life, great opposition. You can be hurt very deeply by other people in this life. And that can wear you out. That can do you in. That can cause you to just sort of give up on life. You can become someone who's angry and resentful and bitter or become helplessly pessimistic about life, carry a victim mentality to your grave. Lots of people do that. It's sad to watch that happen. Joseph could have become a person like that. Joseph, his first 30 years of life were an absolute mess. He was treated so unfairly. He experienced so much tragedy. Joseph was born into a highly dysfunctional family. We're talking highly dysfunctional. His dad, Jacob, had four wives, not in a row, but at the same time. His household was filled with contentions, strife. Joseph's birth mother, Rachel, died when he was a little boy. And she died giving birth to his younger brother, Benjamin. A little boy lost his mom and then spent the rest of his time with three stepmoms, so to speak, who didn't like him very much. Joseph had ten older brothers, and these were not good guys. These were men who got involved in all kinds of sinful activity, including incest, rape, murder, and human trafficking. Joseph did pretty good. He grew up. He was talented. He was very responsible and hardworking. Sort of became the favorite in the family. His older brothers hated him. So one day at the age of 17, his brothers ambushed him, beat him up, and threw him in a pit. And we're going to leave him there for dead. 
But a group of Midianites were traveling by, so they sold their 17-year-old brother as a slave to the Midianites on their way to Egypt. And then they took Joseph's multicolored robe, dipped it in blood, gave it to dad, and said, hey, look, Joseph's dead. So at the age of 17, Joseph lands in Egypt. He's sold to a very wealthy, high-ranking Egyptian official, a guy by the name of Potiphar, becomes a servant in that household, does well, becomes the steward of the household. Everyone liked Joseph, including Mrs. Potiphar, who was a very lovely, attractive Egyptian woman. And she made all types of advances upon Joseph. She attempted on many occasions to seduce him into her bed. But Joseph refused her many advances, and she got so upset and so frustrated that she accused Joseph of attempted rape. Mr. Potterfar is called in. Joseph goes into an Egyptian dungeon where he will spend the next 13 years of his life until age 30. And think about this. He went to prison for 13 years for being godly. Holy, righteous. That's a tough start in life, don't you think? That's a tough 30-year stretch. We could certainly understand Joseph becoming an angry, bitter, resentful man. If anyone could play the victim card in life, Joseph could. But Joseph was an amazing young man, and he never lost his faith in God. And you read through the biblical narrative of which I've just summarized, and you'll read over and over again, the Lord was with him. He got sold into slavery. The Lord was with him. He works for Potiphar. The Lord was with him. He gets thrown in a dungeon. The Lord was with him. Joseph knew that all along, even in all the hard times, The Lord was there superintending, knitting something together. And of course, if you know the story, it's the ultimate rags to riches story. While Joseph is in prison, two high-ranking Egyptian officials are sent into the dungeon. They have dreams. Joseph has the wisdom of the Lord to interpret dreams. He interprets the dreams, and they're accurate and correct. Exactly what uh, happens is what Joseph told them. So a couple years later, Pharaoh has dreams. And he calls all of his magicians. He needs help interpreting these dreams. Nobody can do it. And one guy remembers, you know, there's a guy in prison. What was his name? Joseph. He can tell dreams. So Joseph is brought out. He stands before Pharaoh. He gives the interpretation of the dreams. And gives wise counsel on what to do. Pharaoh, the next seven years in Egypt are going to be awesome. But the seven years following are going to be time of famine. We need to get ready for those seven years. And he even comes up with a plan of where these different silos need to be built and how much grain. Pharaoh looks at this guy and says, man, is there anybody wiser than this guy? Promotes Joseph to second in command of all of Egypt prime minister of Egypt, 
making him the second most powerful man in the world, overnight from prison into that capacity. And then seven years later, when the famine comes, the rest of the world is starving. And people from all over the world are coming to Egypt to find food, including Joseph's ten older brothers. And they stand before him, and they don't recognize him. You remember the story. And finally, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He comes down and he hugs them, and he says, Is dad alive? Go get him. And so the brothers go back. They bring their whole family from the promised land back to Egypt, where Joseph takes care of them all for the next 16 years. Well, here in Genesis chapter 50, dad dies. Jacob dies. The patriarch of the family is dead. And the older brothers of Joseph think that now Joseph is going to get even. So look what we read in verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So their, th- their thought is, when dad was alive, we were under the good graces of Joseph. But now that dad's dead, Joseph's going to hate us. He's going to pay us back. The, the word for hate here in the Hebrew is mastima. Animosity is what it means. It means to bear a grudge, a growing resentment and bitterness. And so here's what they're thinking. It's now 37 years later since they did that cruel deed to their brother. And they're thinking, you know, for 37 years, Joseph's been nursing a grudge. And this resentment has been growing and building. And now that dad is dead... He's going to actually repay us, or in the Hebrew, actually, he's going to fully repay us. He's going to kill us. He's going to banish us. Maybe force us into forced servitude. They're terrified. So look what they do. Verse 16. So they sent messengers to Joseph. They, the brothers, sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. Now do you understand what they've done? I mean, this is these guys plotting and scheming. They send an advance team to Joseph. With a fabricated story. Go to Joseph and say this. Joseph, your dad had a dying wish. Just before he died, he commanded us to bring your message. Joseph, listen to the message from your father from beyond the grave. Forgive your older brothers. 
forgive their trespasses. Your father begs you to. The end of verse 17 says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why do you weep? He's been treating them good for the last 16 years. He forgave them 16 years ago. All was good, and he's weeping for the state of his brothers. Boy, I'll tell you what, those guys are holding 37 years worth of guilt. A burden that's absolutely crushing them. Well, after this advanced team, verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. These are the guys, they come in, they fall on their face. It basically save our lives. We know we've been evil towards you. We'll be your slaves. And that leads to one of the greatest but God statements that you will find in all of Scripture. Look what Joseph says to his brothers in verse 19. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them. And he spoke kindly to them. No hatred. No bitterness. No grudge. No pessimism. You look at a guy like Joseph and you got to marvel. How can a guy like that who's been through so much stay positive, healthy, helpful, Folks, Joseph proves to us that no matter how bad you had it growing up, no matter what kind of tragedy or trauma you've been through, no matter how you've been mistreated or mishandled or misjudged, you can live well now, right now. You don't have to become a bitter person. Joseph proves that. How was he able to keep it all together? How was he able to do that? Well, I want you to take a really close look at the words of Joseph in verses 19 through 21. This is Joseph's theology. This is what Joseph believed. And these beliefs protected him. And guarded him and kept him healthy. Number one, and it's very simple. Joseph believed that God was in charge. That's what he believed. In verse 19, he says, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? I'm not God. God's God. I'm not in charge. God's in charge. 
I'm not in his place. And Joseph lived his life trusting God to take care of things. He wasn't this fickle little man who ran away trying to defend himself against every personal wrong. He said, God will right all my personal wrongs. I'm not in that place. Now, if you think about it, Joseph was in a godlike position, wasn't he? He was way above those ten brothers. And, and he may have been tempted to enforce a little divine justice upon those guys. But he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. He left that in the hands of God. Makes me think of what Paul the Apostle would later, later write to Christians in Romans chapter 12. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Later in First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. In other words, Christian, always remember that God is in charge. Don't try to get vengeance on everybody that's hurt you. Trust God. And Joseph also believed that God was in charge of every detail of his life. 37 years after all this has happened, Joseph can look back on his life and see that there was a plan. There was a story that was being weaved. And that God was in charge. Joseph believed in the providential hand of of God, the providence of God. Now, important, when we speak of God's providence, we're not talking about his miraculous works. A miracle is where God intervenes in natural law. Providence is where God cooperates with natural law to affect a supernatural result. Providence is God's ability to manipulate Ordinary events to affect an extraordinary outcome. And Joseph believed in that. God works in my life. And he believed that. Christian, do you believe that God is in charge? We sit here and we worship God and we thank God for all. But do you actually believe that God is in charge? Of your life and all the details of it. Now believing in the providence of God doesn't mean that things don't hurt. It doesn't mean that we live these passive little lives waiting for God to do everything. No. We, we live life fully. We go for it. We're responsible. But even in that case, there are so many things in life that are outside of your control And you'll get hit with it one day. And at that moment, you need to trust that God is in charge. Trust him. Isaiah 55, I love how Todd opened up our service this morning with that. This is a very important verse for all of us to know and remember. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than you and my thoughts 
than your thoughts. There are certain things in this life you'll never figure out, and you've got to trust that God knows. Simple as that. Joseph believed with all of his heart in the prison, in Potiphar's house, God is in charge. There's something else that that Joseph believed, and, and, and this is so important. Joseph also believed with all of his heart that God always works for the ultimate good of his people. Always. And you see that so clearly in that statement. He says to his brothers, you meant evil against me. And they did. They sold him into slavery. But God meant it for good. Joseph believed that you can go through all kinds of crazy things in life, that people can treat you in an ugly way, but God can turn all of that and make it good. He said, you meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. What you did to me led to a whole chain reaction events whereby I became second in charge of all of the world and was able to enact a program that saved people's lives, including the life of my family. Which, by the way, though they were a dysfunctional family, they're a very important family. The Messiah would come from that family. Joseph was saving the Messianic family. Somebody traced Joseph's life this way. If Joseph's brothers never sell him to the Midianites, then Joseph never goes to Egypt. If Joseph never goes to Egypt, he's never sold to Potiphar. If he's never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape, then he's never put in prison. If he's never put in prison, he never meets the baker and butler of Pharaoh. If he never meets them, he never interprets their dreams. If he never interprets their dreams, he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. If he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he's never made prime minister. If he's never made prime minister, he never wisely administrates for the severe famine coming upon the region. If he never wisely administrates for the severe famine coming upon the region, then his family back in Canaan perishes from the famine. If his family back in Canaan perishes from the famine, the Messiah can't come forth from a dead family. If the Messiah can't come forth, then Jesus never came. If Jesus never came, then you are dead in your sins and without hope in this world. Now, going through all those steps that I just talked about wasn't easy. You think he had bad days in that prison? Do you think he had all the answers when he was going through it? No. But behind the scenes, God was moving in such a way to do something really good. And you got to trust that. You can get hurt deeply by people. People can mean evil towards you, but God can turn that to something good. You know, the life of Joseph illustrates perfectly one of the most famous verses in the Bible. 
And you probably know which one I'm about to put up. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Christian, we know. You can count on it. All things work together for good to those who love God. R.A. Torrey called that verse a soft pillow for a tired heart. All things, dark things, bright things, happy things, sad things, sweet things, bitter things, times of prosperity, times of adversity. They all work together. The Greek word is synergeo. We get synergy from it. The idea is that you have all these different ingredients. Some are good. Some are sweet. Some are definitely not easy to go through. But combined together, God uses that for the ultimate good of his people. You know, I love salsa. How many of you love salsa? (laughs) Boy, salsa is awesome. But if you take some of those ingredients by themselves... Not so good. Eating a raw garlic clove will not be pleasant for you or anybody else in your near proximity for the rest of the day. (laughs) Eating a fiery, hot, raw jalapeno. I think some people do that, not me. Eating a raw onion like an apple. Taking some of that spice, that whole tablespoon... Not good. Some people add sugar to their salsa. Sugar's cool. Some people even add fruit to their salsa. You ever had mango salsa? But I don't want mango, and I don't want sugar. I want salsa. (laughs) And so you cut up all that stuff. You chop it all up. You mix it, and you blend it together. Salsa. Salsa. Do you understand that the same thing is true in your life? There are all kinds of ingredients that God is putting into you. And he stirs it all together. For your good. Do you trust him on that? Now, by the way, here's another very important key to this whole thing. All things work together for the good together for good to those. Notice there's a plurality. God will do things in your life that will be for the good of you and also for the good of other people around you. He has this whole plan that he's weaving. So Joseph at the end could say, you meant evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. So God will move in your life to make things good for you and for the others around you. Don't ever forget that. God is doing things outside your own little world to impact other people. 
I'll never forget the testimony I heard of, of a beautiful, beautiful Christian family just serving the Lord, some of them on the mission field, some of them in ministry. And, and I think it was the, the son who was in a very serious car accident. And he lied in a, in a hospital room where he eventually died. And that room was filled with grieving family mothers. Friends coming in, church coming in, family coming in, tears being shed. Two nurses who witnessed that were changed by it forever. These two nurses had seen lots of death and lots of people struggling with death. But the way that family dealt with it, both those nurses became born-again Christians, went home and led their entire families to Christ. It hurts. Oh, how they cried. Oh, how they wept. But God is always working to turn bad into good. And you have to trust him for that. Joseph was actually um, blessed. He got to see the happy ending, didn't he? 37 years, he could see how it all played together. But let me just warn you and tell you, sometimes you don't get to see the happy ending in this life. Sometimes you won't see how all of the stuff came together. But you still need to trust that God is working all things for good. And one day in the next life, you'll see it. There's an older minister who had a real gift with uh, working with troubled people who are going through intense grief and all of that. And in his Bible, he carried an old bookmark woven of silk threads into a motto. The back of it, where the threads were knotted and tied, was a hopeless tangle. So he would take that bookmark out and show the troubled person this side of the bookmark and ask them to make sense of it. They never could. Then the pastor would turn it over, and on the front were white letters against a solid background saying, God is love. When events in our life seem tangled and meaningless, it's because in this life we only get to see that one side. But you have to trust God that there's another side. Joseph did. That's how he kept it together. God, Joseph simply believed with all his heart that God was in charge and that God always works for the ultimate good of his people. And I also think he believed something else. I believe Joseph believed with all of his heart that God always works to make his people helpful, useful to others. After all that he went through, man, he stands before his brothers and he says, I'm here to help. I see him leaning down and taking those little ones, his nephews and nieces, into his arms. I'm going to take care of you. I'm here to help. God put me in this position to help. God will always work in a way to make you helpful, to make you useful in the lives of other people. And a lot of times that will happen in the way you go through a tragedy. Here's another verse I'd like to put up for you, and this is one that you should memorize if you want to. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you follow that transgression, that progression? You go through a very difficult trial in life. God himself supernaturally comforts you. Which then qualifies you to comfort others who go through the exact or similar problem. And not just with your own comfort, but with the supernatural comfort of God which you learned. Think of that. I'll tell you what, whenever you've been through a hard time, it is so encouraging when you meet someone who's been through that type of thing. And they're able to come alongside and help. Christian, we can do that with all the trials in our lives. You know, there are some Christians... And I actually feel sorry for these Christians. They believe that as Christians, they should never experience any pain. I'm a born-again Christian. I get to make all the money I want to make. Always be healthy. Never have a problem in my life. You are living in a dream world. Living the Christian life is the best life you can live on planet Earth, but it's not heaven. All of us as born-again Christians here this morning operate and walk in the land of cemeteries and jails and hospitals and sickness and accidents. And we all have to go through those pains, those tough times. God helps us in them. And then turns around and makes us useful to help others. God always works to make us helpful. Billy Graham said this, I love this. Nowhere does the Bible teach that Christians are exempt from the tribulations and natural disasters that come upon the world. Scripture does teach that Christians can face tribulation, crisis, calamity, and personal suffering with a supernatural power that is not available to the person outside of Christ. See the difference? As a born-again Christian, you have his help. And that should make you different. So you've got to remember these things when life gets dicey. God is in charge. God is always working for the ultimate good of his people, which can include you and many other people surrounding you. And God is always working in such a way that you'll become more helpful. Remember that. We can't leave this passage without the mention of how important forgiveness is. Boy, how important is forgiveness? Joseph forgave his brothers. He didn't hold that grudge. I'll tell you right now, if you you want to ruin your life, if you want to waste a lot of time in life, nurse grudges. 
Somebody said, no matter how long you nurse a grudge, it won't get better. It'll destroy you. It'll put you in a prison. A rattlesnake, if cornered, will sometimes become so angry it'll bite itself. That's exactly what the harboring of hate and resentment against others is, a biting of oneself. We think we are harming others and holding these spites and hates, but the deeper harm is to ourselves. And think about this logically. Somebody's hurt you and you're angry and you're bitter and you hold all that resentment. Maybe you keep fanning that flame. It's not hurting them. Comedian Buddy Hackett once said, I never carry a grudge, and you want to know why? While you're carrying a grudge, they're out dancing. Those grudges, that bitterness, hurts you. You say, well, how can I forgive these people that have hurt me so, so badly, Pastor? Remember that God is in charge. He repays. God is ultimately working for your ultimate good. And God is wanting to make you helpful. Oh, and by the way, God forgave you a whole lot. And he sent his son to die on a cross for you. That your sins might be forgiven. See, a lot of times we think about how badly we've been hurt by other people. And we get hurt by other people. Are there any people in your life that you've hurt? Anyone? Do you need forgiveness? We all need forgiveness. So trust him. Trust him. My brother and sister in Christ, we have it so good in knowing Jesus, don't we? We have these promises that we can hold on to in this life. And we do have the promise of heaven one day. When all of that stuff goes away. So let's trust him. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we want to commit this time now into your hands. Lord, I pray that we would hear loud and clear what you have to say. And Lord, help us to apply it. Right now. Lord, even if you take us to that time in life where we have nothing to hold on to except you, we'll do that. We'll cling to you. We'll hold to you. We'll hold on to you. We trust you. your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you not, you are not a, a child in the family of God. You don't have this hope. These are blessings for children in God's family. 
And how do you become a child in the family of God? You receive Jesus by faith into your heart, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. You place your faith and your trust in him. You admit your sinfulness. You cry out for mercy and forgiveness. You ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. He'll come into your heart. He'll wash away all of your sins. And you'll become a child in his family. And you'll enter in to all that he has for you now and in the life to come. Maybe you sit here this morning with a bunch of years of guilt. Man, a a burden of guilt that you've been holding on your back for years. You've wondered, could I ever be forgiven? Is there ever a fresh new start? Yes, there is. Through faith in Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ washes away all sin. Be forgiven. Be changed. Be be renewed. Right now this morning. Start over. that's you and you need to cry out to God for salvation, you do that right now. Just cry out. Say, Lord Jesus, I cry out to you right now. I put my faith and my trust in you. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Wash away my sins. Give me a fresh start. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you all these days and trust you. In all the seasons of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please.